Good morning, everyone. I have to confess that when I stood up, I realized I was hungry and I really want a hot dog. So, hopefully, that's right. I, I'm assuming that most of you all got the email last night, a portion of my message that got mistakenly sent out. Oh, well, maybe you didn't, but you already spoke all of it out this morning, so part of this will be a review. It was just a blessing to hear all the things that people had to say. Um, but, you know, as I was preparing for today, I, this question hit me. It's like, have, have you all noticed all the things that have not been talked about this year in the messages that are in the Bible? There's a lot of stuff we just haven't seem to address and in keeping with that I'm not going to address them either but I am going to start out with this particular verse it's out of Isaiah 44 8 and and God is speaking through Isaiah he says this do not tremble and do not be afraid have I not long since announced it to you and declared it and you are my witnesses And here's the question. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any rock, other rock? He answers his own question. This is God speaking. I know of none. I love that verse. Who has all knowledge says, ask this question that's rhetorical, but then he answers his question. I know of none. So I want you to be encouraged because that's all we've talked about this year is the Godhead. And as I was just thinking back through the messages, it's like Bill started off the names of Jesus, all 8,700 of them. The names of Jesus. Tim was not going to be outdone. He talked about the names of God. We looked at the more excellent name of Jesus, that it was higher than angels. He had more honor than Moses. Roger talked to us about remembering the Sabbath. We should focus on the Godhead. There needs to be times in our life when we do that, periodic times, that we walk before Him all the time. So we need to think about Him. Jessica talked about what? The Alpha and the Omega. Mm -hmm. Jesus, the beginning and the end. Bill talked about that the Godhead is worthy of prayer. Why don't we pray more? Think about it. The Godhead needs to loom large in our life and in our thoughts. I wasn't here, but Greg talked about the resurrection, Easter, uh, the hinge point of our Christian faith, much of what's been said here this morning. And then Camille looked at Jesus for the 40 days after he resurrected last week. Um, So... We're in in a good place in the Bible. This whole year, it's like God is speaking to us, know who I am. Honor me and walk before me. I want to kind of continue and look at this particular aspect of Jesus as a man. Jesus the man. Um, And we're going to start because this... You people that are reading through the Bible in a year, I really admire you. I have 
in read six chapters in the book of Hebrews this year. That's it. And some parallel stuff that goes with it, but um, there's just so much there. And uh, so I don't know that I'll get through the Bible this year. It doesn't look like it at this particular point, but... Hebrews, as we've talked about in the in the past, is a letter of encouragement. Um, it's an admonition to the the new believers to hold on fast to what they know about this man Jesus. Um, the letter is basically um, I like it because it's just a series of logical statements. The writer makes these statements and then he makes a conclusion. Because there's therefore is in there so many times. He makes some more statements. Draws another conclusion. And so it's a very logical book. It doesn't mean you always understand the conclusion sometimes. But um, in between all these conclusions there are interspersed warnings about staying faithful to the walk. And so what we've learned so far is that uh, Jesus has a name that's better than all other names, and that's the fact that God called him his son. Um, he's higher than, higher than the angels now because of what he's done. Uh, he promises that the earth and the heavens are going to change, but he's not going to change. Um, and then we come to this place where, as a man, he says, he calls us brothers and says, me and my children. And so I want to pick up this particular scripture in Hebrews chapter um, 2, beginning in verse 13. And I'll need to put my glasses on to read it. And again, speaking as a man, Jesus says, I will put my trust in God. And one more instance in these words, Here am I and the children whom God has given me. Since then, or therefore, the children have a common physical nature as human beings. He also became a human being, so that by going through death as a man, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might also free those who live their whole lives a prey to the fear of death. It is plain that for this purpose, he did not become an angel. He became a man. In fact, actual fact, a descendant of Abraham. It was imperative that he should be made like his brothers if he were to become a high priest, both compassionate and faithful in the things of God. And at the same time, able to make atonement for the sins of the people. For by virtue of his own suffering under temptation, he is able to help those who are exposed to temptation. What I want to look at first here is, are, the, are two phrases out of this passage. One of them, um, and I'm going to change the wording because this is now the New American Standard Version. It says, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. And then later on in that same passage, it says, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. So, this truth that God came in human form is supported in many places in the Bible, not just here in Hebrews. Um, One of them 
Lisa read, read out earlier today in Philippians 2, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And in John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. And then I remembered uh, one of the Christmas songs that we sing, um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, I can't remember. It might have been Jessica that mentioned how closely those words and how theological the words of that song were. And so I, I was um, looking up this particular verse. It says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, held the incarnate deity, pleased with us in men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. And so this whole concept of God becoming man, uh, at least for me at this point, it's pretty incomprehensible. Um, but you, he's almighty. Why did he do it this way? You know, and so I, you know, I started going back and looking at the big picture. For sometimes it helps me to look at the big picture and then see, oh, this is where this fits, and this is why. And so, you know, I was thinking about this whole fact that um, God created Adam from the dust, and He breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And He gave him these instructions, so you know, to be to be fruitful, to multiply, to rule and subdue the earth. And he also gave instruction about one tree not to partake of. Well, Adam and Eve heard, but they didn't listen, which is pretty much what we all tend to do as we hear. But then listening means obeying. It's not just hearing. And so because he disobeyed, sin entered the world. And um, fellowship with God was broken. And because God is a just God, um, he made good on his word. You will die. The challenge was that you wouldn't, but he was deceived and man was separated from God. That sin entered, entered the world. And so Satan now uses that to enslave us through the fear of death. Because death is the punishment for sin and the wages of sin is death. So, does that mean when God came and gave the law that the law was bad? Greg, you could really do well on this part since you've been in Romans this year. But the law's not bad. The law's good. We even know that it's good. But Satan uses it for evil because he knows God's a just God. And so when you sin, our adversary says, okay, here's what you said happened to people that sinned. They must die. But God meant it for good, and he uses it for good because we see the fruitlessness of trying to live by the law. And we realize, hey, I'm in desperate need of a Savior. And so therein lies the uh, dilemma for God is that no man can keep the law. So what's he supposed to do? What's he going to do about this? To remain just and then to love and, and re-embrace the, the created people that he's made. Um, so <clears throat> I just want to look at that, and that's why in his great wisdom 
and love and grace, he's found a way to remain righteous, to do the right thing and win back his people. So let me let me read that passage one time again and then we'll kind of look at look at this. Therefore, since the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise also took of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So, this concept of Jesus being God and man is really hard for me to, to grasp. We, you know, we can say, yeah, okay, I believe it. But then when you start asking questions and putting Jesus in these circumstances, uh, it kind of gets blurry. So if, if he was God, then how could he ever be tempted like a man was tempted? And, and so I looked at this one particular word where in the scripture it says that he partook of the same. And this particular word is a totally different word than what we, we all have in common, whether we're uh, American, French, Chinese, Indian, whatever we are. We all have this in common, flesh and blood. We might not have the same personalities, we might not look the same, but we all got flesh and blood. And the word used to describe that is koinonia. That is, the, that is the one place we have fellowship. But Jesus doesn't fit in that class. The word used for partake, took or partake is matiko. And it talks here about the uniqueness of laying hold of something that's not natural to you. And that's what, that's what God did. It was not natural for him to have flesh and blood. So he laid hold of this and took on human form without its sin when he came here to earth. And so it's an oversimplification, but this is just where I'm at with this right now. He's very God in nature. And he's very man in flesh and blood. Now, it's, it's way more complicated than that because if he's God in nature, then he could never be tempted. But the Bible said he was tempted in all things. And so I haven't gone down that gauntlet yet to figure out how all that works. But he did become a man. And why did he become a man? Bill, you were asking everybody about what they thought about. And this is because this is what I'm in right now when they think of the cross, I think of a redeemer. And we sang about it in the very first first or second song. We sang about that. He had to become a man in order to die. Because God can't die. How is he going to defeat death unless he dies? So he became a man 
in order to die. It wasn't his natural state, you know, which I said earlier, to be uh, in appearance as flesh and blood. But he willingly, I think, maybe it was either Randy or Richard, I can't say, he willingly took hold of this. Uh, And so he became what's called a Goel, our our kinsman redeemer. and this is a marvelous study that I have really just begun to touch on. Um, there are shadows of this in the Old Testament, in the Passover, and in the, in the book of Ruth. But he had to become like us to redeem us. He had to take on flesh and blood. Um, if you think about the story of Ruth, um, basically, if you remember just very briefly, Naomi and her husband are two sons. The, the land was in a famine. They just could not survive. They decided to leave and go to a, a foreign land. Um, after being there for a while, her husband dies. Her sons marry two Gentiles, Moabites. Her sons die. And then she's left with two daughters-in-law in a foreign land. She decides, I'm going back home. I'm going back to where my home is. And so she releases her two daughters from their obligation to to remain with her. Um, But Ruth decides to stay with her and and goes with her back to this land. And so here Naomi is back in the land. She has no way to reclaim the land that her husband owned. And Ruth has no prospect of having a husband being a Gentile in a land where they just don't marry outside their race. Um, so, um, the law in the na- in the land was if you're if if someone from your family is in that situation, then the nearest of kin needs to step up and reclaim and purchase the land. And if they're if if it's one of their brothers or kinsmen, marry the woman. To carry on their line and, and ensure their inheritance. Um, so I don't remember the guy's name, but he decided he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to marry her, and he didn't have the money to buy the land back without impoverishing himself. And so Boaz was the one who took on this responsibility. And there are some qualifications to be a, a kinsman redeemer in, in Jewish law. One is you've got to be a blood relative. Boaz was. Uh, you have to possess the necessary resources. He was a man of means. He could do that. Uh, the, other, the nearest of kin couldn't do that without impoverishing his own family. You have to be willing to pay the purchase price. You guys, I know, are thinking ahead already, but this is just, it's just a beautiful uh, shadow of what Jesus did. You've got to be willing to pay the purchase price. You may have the means, but if you're not willing, you're not going to redeem the whole situation for these people. And last of all, you've got to be willing to take her as a bride. Um, I did print this out. Not that I'm going to use it today because I've only gotten just partway through it, but um, let me see if I can. Yeah, there we go. This is it. 
This is the Old Testament shadows of the Passover and the book of Ruth. And then the fulfillment of it all in the Messiah and all the scriptures. Probably just some of the scriptures. Um, which is which is wonderful. The Old Testament just shows me how much of a sovereign God we have. To write a story like he's written with all the detail, all the shadows, you know, and then you have this aha moment like Paul did, you know, uh, at some point to bring us the fulfillment of what all that was about. Um, so Adam sinned and he forfeited this right to, for dominion over the earth and, and inheritance that went with it. And so was there anybody that had the resources to buy, redeem that situation? First of all, you had to have not sinned and you had to be willing to die. Um, and then you got to be willing to marry a bunch of people like us. Narrows it down, doesn't it? It really narrows it down. <laughs> it really narrows it down. The only perfect sacrifice is one who hasn't sinned. The only person that could do that is God himself in the form of a man. Jesus became our kinsman redeemer and took on this nature so that he could pay the price. And eventually, one day, there'll be this marriage supper of the Lamb that all who believe will be able to be there. And God promises this. It's all through the Old Testament. In, in, in the book of Isaiah, the word speaking, God speaking or speaking about him, redeemed is used like 13 times. I just pulled out one verse. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So we've been bought with a price, haven't we? We've been bought with a price. Um, now would be a great place to stop and have the Lord's Supper. But then I wouldn't probably be able to finish this message because I haven't really made the point of the message yet. All this is just kind of backdrop. So there's another verse, verse 17 in this passage that says, So that... He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who tempted, who are tempted. Um, the overarching purpose for Jesus becoming a man was that he could buy us back. But God in his great wisdom, I, I just hadn't read this anywhere. This has occurred to me. So um, the other wise thing that God has done is Jesus came, he lived a life. He dressed up as a human, if you will. And so we really got to see God respond in human form to the behavior of man. In all these different situations, when you read the Gospels, think this is how God responds to humans. When they do this, when they do that, when they act this way, when they act that way. So 
while he lived this life, we were seeing how God responds to us. The other side of that is, Jesus got to see how men respond and behave to him. Somehow in all of that, he was able to take that in and experientially. And this is the point of today's message. I want you to be convinced there is no better high priest. Not just in general for all of us, but for you. He's the best high priest for you because I challenge you to come up with a situation that you can carry to him that he has not touched when he was walking in the earth. Well, he wasn't this or that. He doesn't know what it's like to be in a one-parent family. Well, really? He doesn't know what it's like to be single. He doesn't know what it's like to be married. He's married to a bunch of guys that it's like being married, you know. Um, So I don't want you to take a moment and think in your life. Is there something in your life that you carry to God, whether it's a temptation, whether it's a life experience that you've been through, that whether you're healed of it or not, he doesn't really know what this is like. He does. He, he has touched the, the essence or the crux of whatever it is that is a temptation or a hurt to, to any of us. And to me, this just so makes running to Jesus as high priest so much easier. Um, you want a motivation to pray like Bill was talking to us a few weeks back. Think about who you're, who you're talking to. Even if you're praying for somebody else, you can you can explain in detail what they're going through, but he knows. He he's, he he knows what people are going through. Um, think about his family dynamics. His oldest son, with all with all that that comes with that, you know, lost his father. The joy of being at a marriage celebration but not being married. Um, his, his mission was unfolding, which really began to understand when he was 12 or 13. Have you been called to do something and had to wait 15, 20 years before you really got released? He understands. He understands what it's like to know what you're supposed to be about and have to wait and wait and be about the mundane things of the world, you know, He understands that. He knows what it's like to be blessed by his father, blessed by his heavenly father, abandoned, not really abandoned from his earthly father, but his his father died when he was a young, young person. And to be abandoned from his heavenly father. He understands physical pain. He understands hunger. Um, He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be sleepy and still have to do things. Um, living with false rumors his whole life. Fake news, big time. <laughs> you know. Yeah. He, he, he understands. He understands your situation, Lynn. He really does. He really does, dear.
Um, there's a, one of the things that I came across was this um, Consider Jesus, uh, which is, I think it's the first part of chapter 3. It says, Consider Jesus the Apostle and High Priest of your faith, blah, blah, blah. And this guy, Octavius Winslow, has these um, devotions that start out Consider Jesus. And I'm just going to read you some of the titles of it. In Lowliness of Birth, In Elevation of Rank, in the possession of wealth, in the exercise of influence, in obedience to divine law, in obedience to human law, the object of popular favor. Consider Jesus in the object of popular hate, in forgiveness and in injury, in exercise of praise, in anticipated death. Are you worried about death? Death was a faith step for, for Christ as a human. What is that one song we used to sing? Jesus knows, he knows, he sees. Something like that. He does. So I just encourage you, you have a high priest whose life has touched whatever your life touches. So be encouraged when you enter with confidence the throne of grace. And he's not up there thinking, I overcame that temptation, can't you? That's not his attitude. He's there for the very purpose, to give you grace. To respond in a right way, in a righteous way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with two verses here. Continue. These are further along in Hebrews, but from all that's been said, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Another, therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. God bless you. Great.